0: welcome to thriller premium welcome to thriller premium in-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto and bitcoin welcome to thriller insider
1: and gentlemen welcome back to another exciting episode of thriller insider today is june 28 2020 and today we are talking the importance of bitcoin you're probably wondering hey car why are you why are you talking about why are you talking about that today <laughs> well there's there's uh there's a lot of reason to that uh, i think we're starting to see an awakening in the uh, crypto and, and uh, bitcoin space here and i think maximalists uh, Bitcoin Maximus, that is. They're starting to realize that, you know, um, Ethereum might be a thing. Uh, I think a lot of them were caught off surprise by DeFi. Now, a lot of them were hoping it was going to die <laughs> and it was going to be a fiery death, just like ICOs. You saw a lot of that banter. But I think it took them, It took it, it took a lot of them by surprise. I don't think they were expecting to... Uh, see ethereum get another second uh, hit hit single you know <laughs> meaning ico right in 2017 2016 and now defi here in 2020 and hopefully 2021 so i want to bring up the importance of bitcoin because i think it i think the importance of bitcoin gets lost in in that back and forth conversation and for the most part um, ethereum Community doesn't necessarily feel like Bitcoin uh, adds any value to them or, or the ecosystem, and I know it's 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 really hard for. And to be honest, like it's really I've noticed, uh, and this is just being at Ethereum conferences and being around Ethereum people, they find it they find Bitcoin to be really boring, um, and I and I totally get that, I, I can see that, right? Um, but I think the vast majority of people are missing the point. When it comes to Bitcoin, Um, so I I want to kind of go through what I call is a little kind of um, you know uh, kind of an article that I put together and I posted it on ThrillerX.com. It's called the Importance of Bitcoin, and um, I wanted to make it a Thriller Insider too because I feel like this is a a very kind of unprecedented time that we're living in, right? Uh, This is like a once in a hundred (laughs) years. kind of event, right? Especially with the pandemic. And then now with uh, how these uh, central banks and the Fed just keep printing more money and, you know, the whole disparaging gap between the the ultra wealthy and and how they're just killing the middle class, right? We've covered that in the past. We're not going to go down that today, but um, we're very much in a transitional period in time where not only is that happening, but people are starting to work remote, myself included, right? We have day jobs, but now we're at home working, but it, we're making it work, right? And and we're starting to see e- everything become more online uh, featured, right? Everything's moving more online. And it's probably, I feel like it's happening at a faster rate uh, here in the past three, four months, since this is all, all have been going on. Um, and then we're also seeing something else. We're seeing uh, all sorts of digital form of content or just more and more value is being created online. Uh, like on Ethereum, for example, you're seeing like actual like 3D paintings and, and CryptoKitties and and uh, all, all these kind of, uh, you know, digital forms of, of value, right? Um, so the main issue that we have during this transition is the friction that's being caused by these on-ramps and off-ramps with our current legacy financial system. Cause we know how, how old that is. That's like nineteen seventies technology, right? Uh, so, how do we pay for? I guess the question I want to bring to y'all is: how, how do we pay for this digital value? Um, I think I think if we look a little bit further, we can see that all forms of digital value stay online, right? And they only ever live and breathe online, right? So like I, I can't take a crypto. I can't take like a crypto YouTube video. With me, right? Uh, I mean, I can take it on my phone, but I can't actually take like a video cassette of it. I'm sure I could, could create one, but that doesn't have the same value as it would online, right? Because you can attach ads to it and all the sort and make some kind of profit from it. Uh, but without without ever exiting the internet, does does that crypto YouTube video have value? Do, do crypto kitties have value? Some people think they don't. I tend to think they do. And I'm wondering, like here in the future, when when Apple and Google create their AR or, or VR component, are we gonna be able to see our crypto kitties, you know, in, in the palm of our hand? Like, is, is, is that gonna be a thing? And if you don't know what AR is, um, it's coming around the corner, like almost like literally a year, two years from now. Uh, take a listen real quick. Augmented reality
0: is a technology whose goal it is to augment or enhance one's physical environment by adding digital elements. This new industry has started maturing, and Apple stepping in with a pair of augmented reality glasses may be a game changer. The details of these glasses were recently leaked. So, what can Apple bring to the space?
1: So, they certainly will bring some sort of, you know, new way of seeing these these digital forms of value that we kind of cherish online, right? And that could be as something as simple as a photo or CryptoKitty, right? And so. It leads me to wonder, um, with the increasing adoption of what we hope to be AR and VR in the future, and I'm talking like here in the next 18 to 24 months, can we go to a retail store one day, you know, and purchase a Crypto Kitty like sitting on a shelf? <laughs> like, let's say you have, let's like, say you go to a Best Buy and there's your uh, your video game section, like, is there going to be like a Crypto Kitty section but it requires glasses and right, and, and then you're just buying it off the shelf and you're, you're paying like is is that going to be a thing uh, and that might be a topic for a different day honestly but still how do we determine a digital form of value i think that's the the ultimate question that i'm trying to get to so if you look at something like twitter for example right we know the stock of twitter has value because the new york stock exchange tells us right i think it's like 20 trading for like 26 dollars a share and, and also, it, it brings quarterly returns to its shareholders, right? Do the people that actually maintain Twitter, like the software developers, the support staff, the people who run it, um, the community that lives there. There's so many different parts of that community that stay on Twitter, that, that, that talk on Twitter, that debate on Twitter. The information that lives there, is that what makes it valuable? Or could you say that, just the people running it and the people that maintain it and the information that's on it and the community that lives there if they were to pick up and leave twitter and start something called fitter <laughs> does twitter lose value so it gets you wondering like where, where does this uh what makes twitter valuable and so you start getting into this kind of place where you're trying to, to, to go back and forth and understanding how value works on the internet and, and online and how we're very much transitioning. I think few people realize how much the transition has occurred here in the past four months, but it's slowly changing. And I probably see it at a faster pace, uh, just being in the, in, in the technology space here in Austin. So I definitely feel like I'm probably right in front uh, as opposed to somebody like my wife who, who works uh, for the city and probably doesn't see those everyday you know changes D- does that necessarily mean that uh, the value is going to be changing in the future i, I, th- I think it is and when pi- when people look at bitcoin and this is where i want to get back to bitcoin because that was the original statement, the importance of Bitcoin. Right now, currently, people va- look and value Bitcoin because they look at it like, like gold. Like it's this Bitcoin scarcity is, is is very contributed to the fact that people look at it like digital gold, right? Uh, from a marketing perspective, that, that that works extremely well for us. <laughs> like I don't think we would have gotten so many um, baby boomers on boarded if it wasn't for people understanding that Bitcoin is digital gold. It's the truth. Now, if this is true, then. Uh, it's easy to say that Bitcoin is the reinvention of gold native to the Internet, right? I mean, the Internet has been around since the 1980s. So if, that, if you take that as being the case, that sounds well, well, well important enough uh, for Bitcoin. As more and more digital forms of value start to appreciate and increasingly become scarce online, how will the Internet determine this value? And this is where you're seeing lots of people really struggle with this notion. Uh, Some people think it's gonna be cash, and some people think it's gonna be more fiat currencies that are gonna rule the world. Do they rule the world? But do they rule the world in this real world and not in this online world? Do you get what I'm saying? Or is it Ethereum? Because Ethereum has well over 75% of all digital assets of value online, right? I mean, we know there's going to be other smart contracting platforms. Cardano is well on its way to releasing their mainnet, right? To be honest with you, there will be more and more real world assets in the near future as well. Like securities eventually will move on there. Uh, we're talking like um, court documents. Like, There's going to be so many use cases for Ethereum or for any smart contracting platform. And to be honest with you, I don't think people realize how much of a technological tool Ethereum really is. I think if there's somebody that really expresses this really well, it's probably uh, Andreas. Um, And I think when it comes to looking at Ethereum, uh, people don't realize that it's just a tool. Like that's all it really is. It's just it's it's just a tool of its time, right? Uh, just like the paper and pencil was in the 1800s or the personal computer in the 1900s. Um, so once you kind of get that kind of framework and you get that thinking, then you understand how you can make that switch from Ethereum to Bitcoin and the importance of Bitcoin. Now, the main the main issue with everybody in this space right now is is the, the infighting with uh, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. And it's, it's almost like, they're really trying to one-up each other. It's, it's really pointless. Um, because when you look at everything else, like money, just just truly sound money, uh, is just a foundational layer for everything else. Uh, this has been true for so long, and I'm left wondering now, is, is this still true? I think it is. I think the vast majority of us look at money, uh, as being just a foundational layer for everything else. Now, I want you to take a listen to this debate because it starts off as one thing and then it turns into something completely else by the end of it. And you're gonna be left wondering like, wait, why is the back and forth with Ethereum and and, and Bitcoin? Uh, Why are they both trying to be the foundational layer for, for everything else? Take a listen.
0: Um so Andreas I wanted to turn it back because you mentioned this twice now and I just want to clarify it. You said that Bitcoin and proof of work is great for what? Bitcoin is being intended for or being designed for and then Ethereum and or proof of stake and Ethereum is kind of being designed uh in a different way for different use cases. Can you be a little bit more ex- explicit about uh what use cases you have in mind just so we can carry that through the conversation?
2: So I think uh Primarily Bitcoin its primary use case is a very decentralized censorship resistant neutral borderless um, Money that cannot be taken down by even colluding states at a very large level without enormous effort and without some pockets of it remaining uh, Even under pressure Uh, it is It is either uh, a very sound reserve currency for the internet, if it's not being attacked, or it's the guerrilla currency that is resisting the attack <laughs> if it is being attacked, and it's the only surviving guerrilla currency that survives in tiny pockets when it's being massively attacked. Um, I think it can do that, and by comparison i think ethereum is this really really nice sandbox play playpen for developers to explore their wildest imaginations and build um really complex um and expressive and interesting systems build modular systems by reusing components uh explore new innovations in in finance and financial services in um, governance systems in uh, content systems and and do so at a very very rapid pace and so those two functions are fundamentally different Uh, and they require different money they require a different security mechanism
0: yeah, that's actually a great lead into the next topic that I kind of wanted to bring up. So the year, 2018 and 2019 were pretty pivotal in uh, the Ethereum narrative for how Ether is going to uh, accrue in value and, and how it's going to protect the system because Ether price appreciation is uh, direct, uh, direct, directly correlated to the security and health of the overall network. And so, uh, the the price appreciation, at least the narrative in the Ethereum world is that Ether becomes the collateral for all of these DeFi applications. And that Mm -hmm. DeFi is this blanketed network uh, financial layer upon the globe that is um, hopefully moving ever and ever closer to being unstoppable code, unstoppable applications that use Ether as a, a collateral type. And so, at the beginning of this podcast, you talked about how you are Bitcoin and Ethereum but there is uh, you know, a growing subset of, of people, call them monetary maximalists, that really think that only one money can really exist and that money is going to be the most liquid, the most saleable, the most globally accessible asset. And so some people think that it can't be Bitcoin and Ethereum. It has to be either BTC or ETH. And so uh, do, does, do you, do you, do you take that point, and then also do you see that uh, DeFi is this is, as a as a layer, a financial layer for um, for the Earth, and where's Bitcoin's role in that? Um,
2: I I don't agree with that perspective, and I don't think the historical data we have on on money and currencies in general shows that. Um, money does have to have some soundness and some characteristics on forgeability and money can be better money or less good money but utility is a big part of it and um, some money can be very good money because it has very good utility and other money can be very good money because it has very good soundness uh, and both can be good money uh, in different contexts and if it is trivially easy to do an atomic swap between them in a decentralized, uncensorable and neutral way, then the, all of the types of pressures that would lead to a single dominant money, um, get eroded by that trade off between soundness and utility, which actually is a good reason to have two. Um, so I don't buy that just for emotional tribal affiliation and brand reasons. People have more than one money for non-rational financially stupid reasons people have more than one money um, but even for strictly rational reasons i think there's more room in the world um, for some different types of money that are easily interchangeable and you know it, it, it may be that bitcoin and ethereum are those or not i don't know yet The idea of uh, Ethereum being collateral uh, for all of the DeFi applications, et cetera, et cetera, is is the same fundamental idea that I see for for Bitcoin and um, just with different applications, which is this. Um, When somebody asks me how secure is Bitcoin or how secure is Ethereum, um, there is no unit for measuring security, I wish there was. I wish I could say it's two Giga Schneiers, or you know, one kilo Assange, or <laughs> seven Peta Snowdens um, to use some names of people who have affected the security of our lives. Um, The best analogy I can use is to measure the amount of capital that is currently stored and has not yet been stolen in that system. So I can say that Bitcoin is eighty billion dollar secure now. That that means that it can store, use, and transmit those kinds of amounts in an economy of that size without being compromised. How do I know? Because it has not for very long but long enough that i can say it wasn't a fluke <laughs> um, and similarly i can say the same thing for ethereum to a certain size so if you think of security being measured as the amount of money that the system has the capacity to keep secure and not have stolen uh outright not just stolen from in the system but st- stolen out of the system taken out of the system collapsed crashed whatever then that's a proxy to this idea of collateralization so if you say you know ethereum is x many billion dollars secure that means that you can use it to run an economy of this size before it's hacked that it can keep an economy of that size unhacked Um, and so as the ability of the system to secure more economic activity and uh, more applications that create that economic activity increases so should the price of the token in order to maintain that security whether you're in proof-of-work or proof-of-stake and so I buy that I buy that and I see it's in both Bitcoin and Ethereum um, in the case of Bitcoin the application for me is um, an international framework for cross-border transmission of uncensorable neutral money and on ramps into all of the other cryptocurrencies the gateway to fiat and things like that in the case of ethereum it's it's with ether it's it's things like DeFi and ICOs and crowdfunding and who knows what next I mean I don't think
0: those are the only um, applications So there's a pretty common uh, criticism from generally the Ethereum crowd to the Bitcoin crowd that that Bitcoin is good money, but a bad monetary system. Um, And so some people, um, I tend to believe this, think that Bitcoin is kind of incomplete because in order for Bitcoin to be integrated into a financial system, uh, we have to trust people in order to do that. Uh, Because of the lack of expressibility of Bitcoin at the base layer, we need to trust, uh, you know, financial institutions in the same way that we trust the banks now. And so the thesis here is that uh, Bitcoin is kind of just this new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, And anyone who just didn't have early exposure to uh, Bitcoin price appreciation is really never going to be able to appreciate the benefits of this new uh, financial system. It's just going to take dollars in your dollar dollar banks and then you're going to have Bitcoin in your Bitcoin crypto banks. Um, do, you, do you accept that thesis or do you decline it?
2: Well, I would decline it and I, I would decline it for a number of reasons. One, it underestimates the expressivity of Bitcoin script. Uh, meaning that you can actually do some rather interesting smart contracts, the Lightning Network being a great example of that. The second is that in terms of expressivity, if that thesis is correct, and you really need the form of um, money that's much more expressive, then the only, the only real function that Bitcoin needs to do, in, in addition to being robust and uncensorable, is to be able to do an atomic swap into Ether. and Then you get all of the goodies of Ether, plus the ability to maintain robust, uncensorable, cross-border, neutral transactions. Um, which on its own, I don't think Ether can do
1: So gold has been a historic store of value Primarily because of its scarcity Right? And as we see everything move towards online It's obvious that we're going to need a gold for the internet and, and that's Bitcoin And when you hear Andreas talk to these Ethereum maximalists Because that's what they are Uh, They fail to understand that. Uh, I've noticed that they fail to understand sound money. And I was one of the very first, uh, I would say, uh, podcasters that started where We really played a lot of Andreas (laughs) clips, I think the first season, just like it was just all Andreas speakings for the most part for our podcast episodes because we just didn't uh, there just wasn't uh, a better person to explain it. And so during that time, I felt like myself and y'all included were we really understood what sound money was from, you know, just a first principles perspective. Right. And so Bitcoin to us gives us that sound money for the Internet. So it's easy easy for us to understand the kind of historical context to that. But not only that, if you, if you just look at the, uh, you know, the, the the store value for the Internet, it, it's it's obviously going to be Bitcoin, right? It's a reinvention of gold. Uh, and, and I think that when we go back to the original question of how do we determine a digital form of value? Uh, well, it's going to have to be determined from the digital gold of the Internet, and, and that's Bitcoin. So... If that's the case, why why wouldn't you understand that Bitcoin is sound money? Uh, it, it just it throws me for a loop, and it it, it probably you know it, it's, it's there's a saying that says that. Mathematics is the language of the gods, right? I don't know if you guys ever heard that. Like, it's always dropped in movies and, and like, a Michael Bay, <laughs> like, movies, I would think. Uh, it's just like, it's always like, oh, yeah, mathematics is the language of the gods. But it, it's a real quote, but it, it comes from Galileo. And he said, mathematics is the language with which God has written the universe, right? And and that could be any type of God that you want to worship. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, whatever. It's whatever you want to believe. But this is what Galileo said at his time. And when you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin is math, right? Bitcoin is math at its uh, true and, and fundamental level. So since the creation, Bitcoin has precisely a maximum supply of 21 million coins, now, as of this writing, we're approximately 18 million coins exist now, and new Bitcoins are being supplied at a rate of 6.25 uh, per block, right? Or, or, or I should say uh, 3.6% annually. Uh, so every every 10 minutes, or nearly every 10 minutes, just new 6.25 new Bitcoins are being minted, right? So in order for us to get value for that crypto kitty, it's going to require ETH. But let's say Cardano takes off, then all of a sudden it's going to, be car- it's going to require ADA, right? Or, or let's say uh, uh, Tezos makes a, a break out of nowhere and be starts doing smart contracts and it has their own crypto kitties on there. And then all of a sudden it's going to require some Tez on there, right? And so th- you're, you're understanding that. Uh, as far as smart contracting platforms, th- there's going to be multiple of them. And and yes, Bitcoin and Ethereum might take the lead for both of them. Uh, just like you have Dash and you have Litecoin and you have Zcash, and they're all hard forms of cryptocurrencies. Not all of them are sound and truly organic in nature and frictionless and divisible and truly decentral- decentralized as a Bitcoin. Right. And, and they're all not global and native to the Internet. I mean, they are global and they are native, but they're they're not the first. Right. Uh, and so when you when you think about these things and you realize the importance of Bitcoin, you start understanding that, yes, will other currencies succeed besides Bitcoin? I think so. I think Zcash will succeed, I think Litecoin will succeed, I think Bitcoin Cash even might succeed, Dash, uh, there's going to be all sorts of cryptocurrencies, will they have the value of Bitcoin? Obviously no, they won't. You've heard this interview with uh, with Jack Dorsey, he just waxed poetic about Bitcoin, it literally changed the world, right? And It's moving the world forward and uh, that's something that uh, I think few people understand. Right or few people notice that uh, Bitcoin changed the world, and and it happened before our eyes, right? And and everything that comes after Bitcoin is secondary to that. So take a listen to Jack as he talks about this, and he really solidifies, at least to me, the importance of Bitcoin and why it, it being native to the internet gives all other things value.
3: I I believe that the currency we use is is. A huge um, part of the answer, and I believe that the internet deserves and requires uh, a native currency, and and that's why I'm I'm such a huge believer in in Bitcoin uh, because it it just our our biggest problem as a company right now is we cannot act like an internet company open a new market we have to have a partnership with a local bank. We have to pay attention to different regulatory onboarding environments, um, and a digital currency like Bitcoin takes an, a bunch of that away, where we can potentially uh, launch a product in every single market around the world, um, because they're all using the same currency, and we we have consistent uh, understanding of regulation and onboarding and 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 what that means so i think um you know the the internet continuing to be accessible to people is number one and then i think currency is is number two um and it, it will just allow for a lot more innovation a lot more speed uh in terms of what we can build and others can build and uh it's just it's just really exciting so i mean i, I want to be able to see that and feel that in, in my lifetime so In this aspect and in other aspects, you have a deep interest in cryptocurrency and distributed ledger tech in general.
2: I talked to um, Vitalik Buterin yesterday on this podcast. He says, hi, by the way. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's a uh, brilliant, brilliant person Talked (coughs) a lot about Bitcoin and Ethereum, of course. So can you maybe linger on this point? What, What do you find appealing about Bitcoin, about digital currency? Where do you see it going in the next 10, 20 years? and uh, what are some of the challenges with respect to square, but also just bigger for our, for our
3: globally, for our world, for the way we, um, we think about money? I, I think the most beautiful thing about it is there's no one person setting the direction. Um, and there's no one person on the other side that can stop it. So we have something that is um, pretty organic in nature and very principled in its original design. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think the Bitcoin white paper is one of the most seminal works of computer science in the last 20, 30 years. Um, it's, it's poetry. I mean, yes, yeah, it really pretty is. cool
2: technology. I mean, that's not <coughs> often talked about. Sort of uh, there's so much sort of hype around digital currency about sort of the financial impacts of it, but the actual technology is quite beautiful from a computer science perspective.
3: Yeah, and the and the underlying principles behind it that went into it, even to the point of releasing it under a pseudonym. I, I think that's a, a very, very powerful statement. The timing of when it was released is powerful. It it was it was a total activist move. I mean, it, it's it's moving the world forward in, in a way that um, I think is extremely noble and honorable and enables everyone to be part of the story, um, which is also really cool. So y- you asked a question around 10 years and 20 years. I mean, I think the, the amazing thing is no one knows, sure. uh, and it, it can emerge. And every person that comes into the ecosystem, whether they be a, a developer or someone who uses it can change its direction in small and large ways. Um, and that's what I think it should be because that's what the the internet has shown is possible. Now there's complications with that, of course, and um, there's you know certainly companies that own large parts of the internet and can direct it more than others. And uh, there's not equal access to every single person in the world just yet. But all those problems are visible enough to speak about them and to me that gives confidence that' they're, they're solvable in a relatively short time frame I think the world changes a lot uh, as we get these satellites um, uh, projecting the internet down down to earth because um, it just removes a bunch of the former constraints um, and uh, and really levels the, the playing field but a global currency which a native currency for the internet is a proxy for is a very powerful concept Uh, and I don't think any one person on this planet truly understands the ramifications of that. I think there's a lot of positives to it. There's some negatives as well.
1: So as we move into this here very near future where we start having to value digital forms of all sorts, uh, it's going to require something like Bitcoin something truly organic, right? Frictionless, divisible, truly decentralized, not like a quarter decentralized, (laughs) but like fully decentralized as a currency. And it's global and it's native to the internet. I mean, that's the importance of Bitcoin, right? It's painfully obvious how Bitcoin becomes the world reserve currency for digital assets. It gives other digital assets value. So this is why I think both Ethereum and Bitcoin can coexist like this, right? One helps the other. Uh, And and Bitcoin is just that foundational layer for everything else, native on the internet. And that's a good thing for Ethereum. And that's a good thing for Cardano. And that's a good thing for all smart contracting platforms. And honestly, it gives credence to other (laughs) hard cryptocurrencies like Dash, Litecoin, Monero, Zcash, take your pick. Okay, that's all I got. So a little backstory on this episode, uh, this this episode really came from having those conversations on crypto Twitter and trying to uh, get people to understand how important Bitcoin really is and how it could benefit the whole ecosystem if it's just a foundational layer. Because if it's not the foundational layer, everything just kind of falls right through and then we're back at, at, at fiat currencies again. Um, This is how you truly change the world, is by utilizing something that's frictionless, something that's global, something that's native to the Internet, something that is important as much as Bitcoin is important. I don't think that's an understatement. If you look at the cover art for today's episode, you will see the Mona Lisa and a Bitcoin logo right beside it. But the vast majority of that photo, that painting is kind of graffitied out. It's a Basquiat ripoff, I guess. I think in the future, people will you know come in trainloads disrespecting bitcoin because they truly hate that it uh, it started this kind of thing forward and, and and that itself is it's a curse in a way but it's going to change the world